everyone, and welcome to Cluelessly Conscious, a platform where we as teenagers in 2020 can talk about our take on the current state of the world. I'm Connor, and I'm here with Divya and Melody tonight. Unfortunately, Nina could not join us, but she will be back at the next episode. And this week, we're going to be discussing part two of the 2020 elections in wake of the second presidential debate. So I guess we'll hop right into our highs and lows of the week for today. Um, My high was definitely taking on skating as an activity. I've done it for the last seven days straight, be it at a skate park or a parking garage, and I'm not great at it, but it's definitely nice to get out of the house um, in a safe environment where it's like outdoors and there aren't many people around. So I'm really liking it, and my low is probably my lack of caffeine. I've only had caffeine like twice in the last week which is really out of the blue for me, but our coffee machine is really old and not that great. So um, I'm going to say those were my highs and lows, and I'll popcorn it right over to Divya. Hi, guys. So my high for this week would probably be, um, I think this was my high for the last episode as well, but making a lot of progress with my mentorship program. Like I found, I got my mentor in checked and she's all approved and good to go. And I got to interview a lot of cool people and it's just been really great. And my low would be college apps. (laughs) Writing essays about the deep intricacies of my experiences is not the most fun or easy thing, especially because, like, there's so many, like, documents we have to submit, and, like, we're encountering every, like, every little bit of our last four years again, and just, like, spilling out everything to these colleges has definitely not been the funnest time, especially with deadlines approaching. But yeah, hopefully I'm I'm excited to get all submitted and just be done with it. So yeah. And I'll pass it over to Melody. Hey guys. Um my high of the week, honestly it hasn't been that great of a week, but I guess my high of the week is that I'm getting better at Among Us. And I'm getting imposter so much. And that's the best part because I feel like nobody wants to be the crewmates. Like, let's all be real. Everybody just wants to be the imposter because that's the best part of the game when you get to, like, really mess with people. So really excited. I've been getting imposter a lot. Um, my low of the week is just school. Having a lot of trouble with motivation lately. Um, even when I was at physical school and being on online school post forums, it like left me, like, a lot of lacking of motivation. I feel like I'm still kind of in summer, but also just more overwhelmed and, like, kind of trying to figure out how to focus in on a junior year but still being kind of tired all the time so that's kind of a low but I think I'm gonna figure it out um I guess that's just about it so I guess we're gonna go ahead and start talking about the 2020 presidential election we already kind of discussed this in a previous episode but we figured with everything that's going on especially with the finishing of the second and final presidential debate um it on Thursday. So it was optimal that we kind of go back into discussing it because there has been a lot of development in the race. So Connor, if you want to go ahead and start with that. Sure. So I think today's debate was definitely more civil than the first one. Um, You know, some falsehoods were said by both candidates, but I think in general, both Biden and Trump spoke a lot more eloquently today than they did at the last one. And the moderator was amazing. I'm not 100% sure what her name was. I don't really remember, but she did a great job. And so I also think that they had like muting capabilities this time around, which was fantastic because it did a good job of keeping them to their time limit. Um, So I guess like we'll start off with a falsehood. This is something that is fun. So I'm looking at New York Times right now. They posted this a couple hours ago, fact-checking the debate. President Trump said that what has been proven to happen is when you raise the minimum wage, small businesses fire many of their employees. And this is something that is in fact false. Economic research does not prove that when governments raise minimum wages, businesses lay off layoff workers. In fact, recent studies suggest the opposite, saying that some state-level increases have zero impact on hiring. So that was something really interesting because obviously the minimum wage is a very weighty debate, even within my own family. Um, Both my left-leaning parents have different views on whether or not we should raise the minimum wage. I am personally for raising it, so it really was annoying to see this falsehood come out right out of the gate. Um, But I'm happy that we have good news sources setting us straight. So I guess that's my way of starting it off if anyone has anything to say on that. I always like question this argumentation because in some respects I understand it, right? Like 
small businesses that don't have huge amounts of people coming in are obviously going to struggle to pay people like a living wage, which is um, technically like usually what you're talking about in terms of raising the minimum wage, which would be about $15. Like that's a very large amount to pay if you're a small business. I understand that. But on the flip side, I think about the fact that like the federal government would no longer have to spend so much money on social services, no more money on things, on programs like food stamps, because people would be able to buy their own food. People would also have more spending money. I think that this reinvigoration into the economy in terms of like having to downsize these industries so that we wouldn't have to spend as much money on social programs and people would be able to, you know, make their own money. I think that gives us the ability to subsidize and like give loans to small businesses that are struggling after these um, increases in minimum wage. I, I think that also gives us the opportunity to see more money go into these small businesses because people have more money to spend. So it's like weird. It's like a, the double-sided um, coin in terms of economics. On one side, you have a short-term impact. You'll probably see some small businesses suffer. But on the other side, you have the long term. Like, can the United States government, if we increase the minimum wage, see these like overall better impacts in terms of like we wouldn't have to spend as much money on social programs and we'd be able to see more money flowing back into these businesses because people would have more money to spend. So I always feel like, you know, and I think this is to be said for a lot of political debates. What do you want more, the short term or the long term? And can you find a middle ground to incorporate both? Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I know like here in the state of Florida, we actually have an amendment that is coming into or coming up for referendum in the 2020 election about raising our minimum wage to $15 an hour. But I believe it's raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2025, like raising it slowly, which is interesting. Um, and that's something I think it's uh, Amendment 3. So if you are in Florida, I believe it's Amendment 3. We recommend voting yes, but it was it was interesting to hear like both sides of the debate and to look into the falsehoods afterwards because I think minimum wage is something that does have to be raised um, because the average hourly wage has gone down or remained stagnant for so many people while the cost of living just like skyrockets. Um, I also thought it was really interesting to hear um, President Trump talk like speak poorly on uh joe biden and on medicare and medicaid and then later on attack him for planning on like stripping medicare and medicaid and like changing it and it being taken away under like social security being taken away under biden election that really like confuses me because on one hand like that's something i think trump like does very often is he'll say something is bad and then say that the thing that is bad will go away under Biden when Biden advocates for it being good. And so it's like, he kind of doesn't defend his own ideas. He's just looking for any way to attack Biden, which really frustrates me. Um, So that's where I am on those statements. And we definitely heard a lot of those in tonight's debate. Yeah, for sure. And like, as we kind of talked about this in our last episode, just regarding like public health policy in general in the United States. And, you know, my biggest issue is that Trump keeps talking about a great health care plan that he has planned, but we're not really hearing much of the details. And, you know, Obamacare, Medicare, Medi- like the Affordable Care Act is not my favorite thing either, but I definitely think it's a start. And it is, you know, ensuring 20 million Americans, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, please, um, across the United States. And, you know, health, not everyone has basic health care here. And that is a huge issue. And um, there's so many people in the health care gap in the United States. Undocumented people are not getting basic health care. These people fear approaching governmental institutions for like the most basic of care and you know they're charged with tremendous hospital bills or they're fear like they fear being separated from their families there's just so much going into the thought process of just attending to like a basic you know fever or something that they really need help with and like especially in the time of covid this has been a huge problem and you know communities are trying to accommodate and you know charitable clinics and low-income clinics are trying to find ways to aid these people but it's just simply not enough our healthcare system is very much broken and you know obamacare like i said is not my favorite but it's definitely a start you know that's just 
what I have to say on that. Like, Trump keeps talking about his plan, but I would really like to hear what he has planned because it doesn't seem like he has anything specific in mind right now. I think that's a really common occurrence across all of his policies is like if you look at his election website while Biden like last time I looked at both of the websites it could have changed in the past couple of weeks but I doubt it has. Um, Biden's website went into like in-depth policy plans and how he planned on executing them and describing the impacts where Trump's re-election plan was essentially a list of bullet points with almost nothing on any of the policies. And again, even the policies that he advocates for, no matter how disgusting they are to you or I, aren't going through. Like Trump's border wall, what they did 400 miles of it. And of those 400 miles, like it keeps falling down and it's a fence most of the places. Like, and so it's just like really common to hear like facts over feelings. And then when presented with facts, it's just like, no. And um, that's been something that frightens me a lot. And I remember pulling up like the, 14 early warning signs of fascism um, and talking to a staunch Trump supporter about them multiple occasions. And it was a poster that was sold in the um, Holocaust Museum's gift shop with the 14 early warning signs of fascism. And they're pretty universally recognized. And I remember going through each independent one and saying like, here's how Trump has done this. Here is an example of this. And in response to that, he was just like, I have football practice tomorrow morning. I can't talk about this right now. And that was it like perfectly happy to have a conversation until I list it out individually. Like here are all the individual ways in which he's actively harming our country from voter suppression to sexism, to his obsession with nationalism and like security. Like it's, it's really interesting to talk to not, not only hear him talk with Biden, but as a Biden settler, talk to Trump supporters. I guess to me, it's like, especially when we're talking about the different aspects of Trump, like the sexism, the homophobia, the racism, everything. All of these are very emotionally driven. So I think I would go as far as to say that the lack of policy on his website is less about him not having a plan, although I don't know if he has a plan. I think it's less about him not having a plan and more about him recognizing that his supporters aren't particularly interested in the plan. And this isn't to say whether or not that's a good or bad thing. This is just to say I think that his campaign runs – highly on emotion. It's very much driven in how we display ourselves. The ethos in his campaign is incredible because he is like bashing um, Joe Biden and he's bashing his son. And that you could argue is immature, but you could also say that is the very foundation of his campaign. He's running on these like appeals to our emotions and to our the way we view people. Like he's attacking his credibility. And it is in some ways, a very genius political strategy because it was capable of getting him to the White House. Like, he just bashed Hillary Clinton until he was in the White House. But also, in some aspects, is very dangerous because, as they discussed in the debate today, that really does stoke a lot of fires in terms of hatred because you see somebody being so emotionally vocal about things that, you know, we should really consider and be open-minded about, but being so vocal about them and like disregarding other people's aspects and being very passionate about that and choosing, like actively choosing to portray these like slightly morally like corrupt aspects of his personality to the general public, this allows people to just feel as though that is okay. I think a lot of the times the reason we have Trump right now is not because anybody liked his policies or because anybody believed that he was the best man for the job. I think it's because he appealed to a demographic of America that for a long time was not as vocal as it would have been. But they saw somebody and had somebody, a leader, to be vocal about the things that they believed. And that's how he was able to rally his like core base because he was the one who's willing to step up and say the things that they were saying. And especially after an Obama administration, an Obama administration that maybe not in terms of policy, but just in terms of representation had been so progressive. It was natural for these people to feel that way and for Trump to exploit that. Whether or not he believes it is a different thing, but for him to exploit it actively in 2016 and now in 2020 is arguably one of the better political strategies in terms of winning, but one of the most morally corrupt things I I think we've all seen in modern day politics. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's one thing that the Republicans really have down is they have 
a very strict agenda. They run on very few election items. It's abortion, guns, and God often. And, you know, they're like a Chipotle menu. Like you look at it, you got a few options, like this is what you got. And then you go to um, the democratic platform and it's like, you're opening up like Postmates, like get what you want there. Every single restaurant is in here. You have like the super moderate Democrats and then you have like on like super progressive Democrats and you have like leftist Democrats. And so it's really, you know, the Republican party latched very hard, especially in the last like 30 years or so onto a few specific issues like abortion, like gun, like, you know, pro 2A and, um, those issues have drawn them so many single issue voters. And that's why I think it's interesting when people talk about like the Supreme court and will Trump actually, or will um, the Supreme court actually overturn Roe v. Wade because, you know, they are a Republican, you know, majority, super majority on, or a conservative super majority in the Supreme court. But again, so many single issue voters could turn to the left. If something like abortion is no longer a policy issue within the next five to 10 years, and I think that scares a lot of conservative candidates because they don't have that as a talking point. They don't have this pull of like, we're going to make abortion illegal. We're going to make it harder to have. And like that turns away from something they can actually use like to create their platforms. And so, yeah, they rely a lot on emotion, like Trump ridiculing Biden saying he's going to listen to scientists and Biden being like, yeah, and... And um, it, it does pull at people's heartstrings, especially people that don't have the time to really look into politics, which frankly, a lot of people don't. If you're working like, a, you know, several jobs and you hear someone say like, he's going to tax you, he's going to get all your money and you don't have time to research further into that. Of course, you're going to vote for the candidate that's going to save you in the immediate Time frame, but if you look into it and you realize, like, wow, I could really benefit from these healthcare, from this healthcare policy. Wow, I could really benefit from the social security. Like, you'd learn more. You turn to a different candidate, but that's just not the reality for millions and millions of Americans now. And I think Trump has done a really good job of speaking out to these people that have been disenfranchised for so long. And I think people that like rule this country do a good job of dividing people in the lower class and not you know it allows them to demonize each other rather than the oppressors at the top and like that's just something that's like a result of like late stage capitalism i mean that kind of is what happens but i think trump has done a really good job of weaponizing late stage capitalism in his advantage and using like this working class of people that don't have time to research a ton of things like people always get on trump supporters for not being educated but especially in a place where you don't have great access to the internet or you don't have like the resources to become educated on a topic, like it's not necessarily their fault all the time. And so I think like really engaging in conversations and trying as hard as we can to spread information rather than just saying like, you're an idiot is so important. Like I've talked to kids and I was like, you know, this is something we can afford. We can afford healthcare. And they were like, no, we can't. And I don't want to increase taxes on myself. I'm like, well, Amazon didn't pay any taxes you know, we put taxes on these corporations and you can pay for a lot more things. And they're like, well, Amazon paid taxes. It's illegal to not pay taxes. I was like, honey, they didn't. And I had to send them like three articles and they're like, wait, we can actually afford this stuff. I was like, yes, we can. And instantly like that, I flipped someone over because it just takes talking to them. It just takes a conversation for some people to realize like, wow, this is something we can't afford because it's really easy to watch a two hour debate and get cut off, caught up in the rhetoric that Trump does such a good job of spreading and sticking to his side. Um, so yeah, that's my long ranch feel. So I think this is also though, like, let's not give it all the credit to, to the Republicans. This is something that's also been created by the Democrats. I would argue that in the pursuit of the Democrats to appeal to all these different people, like they, I would, I would say, um, just as a generalization, the Democratic Party is attempting to appeal to all people of color, people of different gender identities, people of different ethnic backgrounds. They're trying to appeal to everybody. But when you cast such a wide net, I feel like a lot of the times you are met with empty promises. Like, for example, I like Barack Obama, but Barack Obama made the promise to be as inclusive as possible. And that was something that came as almost like implicit to his presidency as being a black president. But you still see these problematic immigration policy at the border so then you're forced to ask yourself you know they're making all these promises 
but economic constraints, cultural constraints, the constraints of society don't enable the Democrats to really fulfill these. So then you kind of leave a vacuum for the Republicans who are looking for a more narrow single um, issue voter to be able to swoop in there and be like, see, they're not doing it. So I think a lot of American politics would allow Donald Trump to become president of the United States. What has brought us really to this point, I wouldn't even argue just his presidency, what has brought us to this specific instance in time? What brought us to Barack Obama's presidency and then into Trump's two drastically different presidencies, by the way? What created the situation of modern politics, I would argue, is just a culmination of what it is to be a politician. You are consistently looking for political strategy, which is encompassed in Donald Trump and his appeal to emotion, his almost ingenious political strategy that landed him a businessman millionaire who had no political experience and wasn't even registered to vote into the highest office in the United States for four years and possibly eight now. But then you have on this other side, the Democrats saying, I want to give universal health care or I want to give a public option, but I also want to like make my immigration like an easy path to immigration. I also want to do these huge climate change things. And you're making promises to people, but then they're elected into office and they don't fulfill them. So then suddenly people don't believe in politicians anymore. So it's a perfect storm. A two-party system has created a perfect storm for people like Donald Trump to do the things that they do and for it to almost be something that we accept as commonplace. Like I think political strategists could have guessed that this was coming at some point just based off of how the political systems were operating before the 2016 election. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And just really quickly adding on to that point where you said like how Democrats are also similarly having like that large net of like a target audience, like gender minorities, people of color, et cetera. Like Earlier this week, there was a huge blunder on the side of the Democratic Party. Uh, Miss Mina Harris, um, who is Kamala's niece, and she's been really like advocating for her on social media, clearing up her name, lots of things. And you know, um, lots of they've been trying to appeal to South Asian voters a lot because you know Kamala is half Indian, South Asian. She's um, from Chennai. Like her mother is from Chennai. Like she speaks double. She was Hindu and everything. So like an attempt to like kind of appeal to them, I think she tweeted this picture of um, saying, I am actually speechless other than to say that the first day of Navaratri was lit. And then it's a picture of a Hindu goddess, uh, Durga. And um, with Kamala's face photoshopped onto Durga, and then the line that she's writing, like having Biden's face, and then the demon that she's killing having Trump's face. Now, this post was taken down pretty quickly, but no apology, no addressing it, no accountability, really. And, um, you know, lots of people were able to screenshot it and call her out, but she hasn't responded to anything. They're like, you know, you can campaign and everything, but like, this is a very, Navratri is a very important, you know, Hindu festival going on. And like, this is quite literally like using a religious figure in political pop- propaganda. And, you know, that's not a cool thing to do. And like someone called her out and they were like, if you think you're going to win Hindu votes by mocking us, think again. This image is highly offensive and insulting to Hindus. Our divinities are not cultural curios for you to mock and trivialize and are you going to delete without an apology and i saw there were so many people in the comments that are like oh my god she's she's hindophobic kamala's hindophobic and now i'm gonna vote for trump and it was just like oh my god there's so many things going on it's like so close to the election it's just like both parties have you know, i mean democrats specifically aren't exactly innocent in this you know target in this target audience and like lots of empty promises kind of like what melody was saying so in a way we can kind of see like how why trump succeeded in getting to the oval office but what i think is also kind of interesting is the division in the republican party concerning like trump like there's been so many organizations that have rose as republican organizations that want to get trump out of office like the lincoln project or even the fact that every living previous president right now, Democratic and Republican, don't believe Trump is the right person for the job. 
And I just think that's really interesting because they're the ones that hold the Republican values more close to their heart and really looking to see if he's fulfilling, like, you know, following the Constitution, fulfilling um, everything that the Republican Party has been following for decades for real instead of just, you know, talking about it. So I, I definitely think that's really interesting. I mean, absolutely. And I think it's very important to talk about the fact that Trump isn't the cause of all these issues and that he he is a symptom of a very large group of Americans that have felt disenfranchised by both parties in so long. People wanted something new. They knew that Trump wasn't the typical Republican and they wanted something new and they got it. And it don't think, I think for a lot of people, it wasn't the solution they were looking for. And that is... It's, it's great for, for Biden and for the election, but I think it's important to recognize that like both parties have been so incredibly flawed in how they address these topics and how they address everything like with the Democrats and their empty promises. This is something that happens so frequently. And I think like one thing to um, at least give to Obama is that he did have a Republican Senate while he was on office. And so like obviously that's going to make things a lot harder for him to get through. Um, but I think both parties have done a pretty bad job in general of representing everyone. And I think we like, I, for one, if I were to be voting purely on my morals and I didn't have to consider like electoral politics of 2020 would probably be a Howie Hawkins supporter, like green party for the win this year. But the problem is, is like, obviously Howie Hawkins isn't going to get elected in 2020. And like this duopoly is something that I think got Trump elected. People felt that they weren't being heard by the Republicans. They felt that they weren't being heard by the Democrats. And he latched on to a very specific audience that spread so quickly because he was able to reach that ethos. And um, like, I, I follow Howie Hawkins on Instagram. He's running for president. He's only got 18,000 followers, which is kind of sad. But um, he's someone who wanted the Green New Deal and Medicare for all and cutting military spending and doubling social security and ending the war on drugs, defunding the police, all these things that we've been hearing from especially young voters. And it's great. And I think like for people who are in a super safe blue state, if you truly feel like that's something you need to vote with, like vote with your morals and you live in like California, then sure. But I live in Florida, right? And this is a battle state and this is a state that we have to win. But honestly, something I'm really concerned about is whether Trump will commit to a peaceful transition of power when he loses. I feel like he's done, I feel like recently his campaign has been like less intense than we would have thought it would have been right up to the election. And that worries me because I don't think it's him giving up. I think he knows he's way behind in the polls. And I think whether he wins or loses, there is a serious possibility of him not committing to a peaceful transition of power because he's been asked about it before and he didn't say he would. And when he hasn't said yes in the past, it usually means no. And so that is something that worries me. And I've talked to my family about it. And it may seem like something like that can't happen in the United States or like that's not going to happen. But it's something to think about because we see how he's running his campaign the last few weeks of the election. And we see like these little like eight-year-old girls like singing at his rally, literally North Korea style, like actual propaganda, like unironic propaganda. And I'm wondering, what is this turning into? As I read through, like, 14 early warning signs of fascism, and I see them happening over and over again, and I see him checking down the boxes, it's not, it's not a joke anymore. Like, people used to make memes about it, like, haha. But as we get closer to the election, and as he gets more extreme, I'm genuinely worried about the outcome. And, you know, like, the GOP putting out fake election box, fake ballot boxes in California, or the many GOP politicians that have said stop counting after 48 hours stop counting on election day even Trump saying that they deserve a winner on election day when he knows that a lot of Democrats have been voting by mail and he knows it's something that's not going to be counted until after so I think to our viewers out there it's really important that you guys make sure you don't declare a winner on election night because we probably won't know even if it looks like one candidate or the other has a clear win we don't know, and it's so important that we commit to not being ready for our new president until we count all the votes, because there is a seriously prominent possibility that Trump won't commit to a peaceful transition of power. And it sounds crazy, but it's true. 
And so making sure that like in a win or lose situation, we're ready to mobilize and not remain complacent if Biden wins, continuing to act, advocate for what you believe in. And, you know, someone once said, like, if Trump hadn't won the election, we'd all be at brunch right now. And that was something that hit because I think a lot of people got into activism when they saw what Trump did. And I, I'm worried about people stepping down when Biden gets elected. So if Biden gets elected, continue to mobilize and advocate for what you believe in. Don't settle. A vote is a start. It's not your end point. And if Trump wins, um, you know, again, continue to advocate, but make sure that you're maintaining democracy because it's kind of scary and kind of in danger. So, yeah. I think, like, I don't know to what extent I would argue that he's going to create a huge issue if he loses the election. I would see him possibly taking this to the Supreme Court. And if Amy Coney Barrett is elected, that could be a huge problem for the United States in terms of the legitimacy of the election as to whether or not, you know, he's going to argue that if he is not elected, the election was rigged. And we've seen him set this kind of argument up in the first debate. He talked a lot. He was like, I don't even know if the, the ballots are going to be correct. Like I saw three military ballots all with the name Trump in the garbage, or I've heard reports about that. And like, I don't think the election's going to be correct, this, that, and the other thing. And he's not saying this because he wants everybody to know that it's problematic, that these things aren't being done right. He's saying this because he's trying to set it up as essentially like a fail safe. If he loses the election, he will take this to the Supreme Court and argue that the ballots were not counted correctly. Things like his cut of the USPS will also contribute to this idea because he can say mail-in ballots weren't counted correctly. And he can say this, that, and the other thing about the legitimacy of the election and challenge the result. To that degree, I would argue that would likely be what you could say was a, 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 like him not peacefully transferring power. I don't think he'll take it anywhere beyond that. Just because, and I, I, I'm never going to count Trump out. I'm never going to say, you know, I'm absolutely sure he's not going to do it. But to some extent, I think, you know, he doesn't really have the resources to push it any farther than that. He is kind of surrounded in the situation at which, you know, this isn't like Venezuela. I'll use that as an example. The military isn't loyal to Trump. So it makes it kind of difficult to, um, and not to say that he would be using military action, just to say like that to this extent at which we would see these like large trouble in terms of transfer of power. I don't think that he'll take it that far, but I do think that he will make it very, very difficult for the United States to move on if he isn't elected. And we could see this election process drawn out for months afterwards. Absolutely. I think that the election process is going to be drawn out for months because when he was asked, it wasn't a no, but it was like, will you commit to a peaceful transition of power? And he said, we're going to have to see what happens. And that was, but when I, when I watched him say that on the news, that was bone chilling because- That was literally so scary. And I, I saw yeah. a clip of like Hillary and Donald Trump's like first debate I think and like they were asking like uh like if you lose like what what do you, are you gonna like you know accept it and then he was just like we we have to see and then Hillary like called him out he was like this is what he always does like even when he didn't freaking his movie didn't win a freaking Grammy like he was like oh it's rigged and he's like she brought up this fact like if anything doesn't go in his way, he just says that it's rigged or the system's rigged or like something's wrong with the system. And she's like, it's so like immature. And like, I don't know, it's just so weird. And like Connor said, bone chilling, kind of scary. And like, even when it came to the freaking Grammy, he was like arguing on stage with her, like during a presidential election. He was like, yeah, that movie should have won a Grammy. It's just like, uh huh. This yeah. is scary, bruh. It's like hope for the best, expect the worst. Because I'm really worried that people like right now are like, oh, well, Biden's going to win. You look at the polls. Trump's not ahead. Biden's going to win. But I saw something that was like a four years ago today from the New York Times. And it was showing Trump with a 92% chance of winning. And now it's, I think now it's like a, or it was showing Hillary with a 92% chance of winning. And yeah, she won the popular vote. But, you know, we live in an electoral college world. So, I mean, again, that was frightening for me. And 
and seeing those ballot boxes that were fake, that they were placing in neighborhoods to specifically disenfranchise voters, like, that's, that's scary. That's not something I've seen before. My mom was like, never in my life have I seen people with this level of, of like worship towards a president. She lived during Reagan. So, and she, like, I go out my backyard and I go paddle boarding and I see my neighbor with four Trump signs, not in the front of his house, but in the back, in the back of his house, like on his boat and on his dock, like facing out towards the canal. So all the boats going by can see it. And it really scares me. And it's just I, so abnormal. Like, it's, it's, even, it's unprecedented. It's unnormal. Like, like, it's just so weird. Ugh. And it's an aggressive <laughs> amount of merch. That's a lot of money, especially if he loses. That's very unfortunate. That's a huge oh. investment you know, made. That's so unfortunate for their wallets. So much, so many. I was caught in a Trump rally the other day, uh, a drive through like a drive, like a driving <laughs> Trump rally. And I cannot express the fear. I felt one of these guys um, was in his pickup truck, as one does. And we pull up next to him and we're at a stoplight, which let me tell you, the stoplights were the worst part because there's nowhere to go. You have nowhere to run, right? And I'm sitting and I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, because the back, I was sitting in the back and the back's tinted. I'm looking at this dude. I'm like staring him down intensely because I'm like, I'm not breaking eye contact, but I'm also scared out of my mind. And he literally looks like at the back and I'm like, he can't see me, but I'm really scared at this point. And he smiles and he gives me a thumbs up. And my dad thumbs up him back because obviously we're not going to like disagree with him right now. Like there's nowhere to run. (laughs) I'm just like, I'm just like, it was, it was terrifying. And it's like, it's this, I do not care if you are Republican. I have a problem with if you're a Trump supporter because that to me is very indicative of a moral thing like even if you're there are a lot of people who say they're for Trump because of the economy but to me that just says that you are okay with racism and sexism that isn't a deal breaker for you all of these like different terrible values that Trump has shown these aren't a problem for you because you're benefiting from it so to me a Trump supporter is something very 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 different and obviously like we have no problem with Republicans I think I just want to say that like I I don't want it to seem like we're saying like the Republican Party is this that and the other thing and the Democrats are the best in the entire world it's more about the fact that Trump has fostered an environment that I don't think either party could have ever anticipated like he has created so much hate so much decisiveness like there's such a huge division in this country a division i don't think anybody ever thought they would see excluding like andrew jackson era of presidency so much hatred and so many lines being drawn in the sand neighbor against neighbor classmate against classmate family against family like people are fighting within their families about this like this is all people talk about you know and it's like I I cannot fathom – I can think about all the political ways he did this and the strategy it was used, but I truly cannot fathom how he was able to do this, how he was able to really sincerely find these people in their lives who were felt neglected by this nation and neglected by this government and was able to really speak to them in this sense. I even forget to think about, like, the fact that these people even existed. People who, even if you are, like, the people excluding those who are for his economic policy, um, the people who believe in these sexist and homophobic and terrible, like, anti-mask, anti-logic, anti-science people, like, these people existed. And I think during Obama's presidency, we enjoyed the luxury of the idea that we are making progress. You know, he was a black president and we were making progress and we all forgot these people exist and that they are your neighbors, they're your friends, but they're not telling you. And it is a very scary reality to live in. Also, never get caught in a Trump rally. Terrifying. I got caught in a Trump rally on my way to um, therapy. And I have to say, I don't know if therapy reduced the stress that was created from that (laughs) Trump rally. I was like, I think I had more stress because I was late to therapy. I was like, I'm stressing out. Like, I got to get here on time. And I'm caught behind some racist dude trying to put a flag away. Like, please get out of my way. And my therapist is like a mega feminist, which is iconic. We like love her for that. But you had um, to get another session after that. You, facts, you had to get bro. two sessions. Facts. <laughs> but like, dude, hearing like the things said, like Melody, the people that are running in our district for Congress, like it's Pam Keith versus Brian Mast versus KW Miller. And 
honestly, K.W. Miller is like a QAnon, like deep state, I hate George Soros person. Like we all know that person. And he is one of those people. And he lost the Republican primary because he's so outlandishly racist saying that Beyonce isn't black and she's working for BLM and George Soros and she's Italian and all of these insane conspiracies saying that BTS is big time socialist and they're working with China and AOC to destroy America. Like insane. But he's running as an independent, which means he's reducing the support for Brian Mast, the Republican incumbent. And for some reason, people in my town who are like closeted racist, they're like your country club like oh like eh. you, like you're with them and then you hear them make like a really insensitive joke about like immigrants and I'm sitting in a car I remember sitting in a car with my friend's dad and he got cut off by someone who was Hispanic and he goes it's always the effing Mexicans and I was like uh, oh oh Not the effing Mexican oh I was like Gnosis. bro got cut off in a car like relax and that like set it into, I, I realized that. And as the election comes up, I see my neighbors putting Trump stickers and thin blue line flags up. And it's, it's scary seeing KW Miller stickers, someone who's openly homophobic. And like, even, even the person who's supposed to be like the moderate conservative environmentalist King, he posted with like his new, his campaign manager. And these are like somewhat old comments on a Facebook post, but he was fully like 28 years old when he said them. So he was by no means a teenager or in college. And his current campaign manager posted a picture with two girls and, and um, he said that he hopes he hooks up with 15, 15 year olds because it's legal there, right? Which was prior to like his deployment, but when he was enlisted in the military. Not the and cases. This is like a 30 year old man talking about Ready like 15 year olds. And then another time, like his campaign manager was like joking, asking people for pickup lines on Facebook. And he said, how about you don't turn this rape into a murder? And as like a young girl who's met Brian Mast, who has seen him in person, who's met his kids, like that's terrifying that people that's are okay scary. with being represented by someone like this. And I remember calling him out and someone saying like, oh, well, he's passing this bill, right? I'm like, sure. I have no doubt in my mind that the Democrat running for office is going to put forward the same steps considering they're both veterans and they've both worked very hard for this country. And like, just hearing those comments come out of someone who was elected for office and hearing people come up with excuses about rape jokes and jokes about 30 year olds getting with 15 year olds. Like it disgusts me, but the fact that KW Miller is running as an independent means Mast is down in the polls, even though so many people have like worshiped him as a God. And I was literally at a protest. We were talking about environmental racism in front of his office and we were putting flyers about like the impact of military or militarism on um like the global south and talking about environmental racism and how much our military emits and blah 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 blah. and we were talking about places like flint like little haiti in miami which is um talk like, climate gentrification happening in south florida and all these impacts that we see we were, we were talking you know all over the parking spots in front of his office and a group of kids came by and they were like shouting Trump 2020 and they threw water at us. And then they started calling my friend the F slur and yelling at us and being super aggressive and loud. And it was, it was terrible to see this division and this like blatant hate coming from kids that were completely okay with being racist and seeing like, like logging onto Instagram for the day and seeing a white lies t-shirt from a party where it said black lives matter on the shirt, implying that that kid thought the opposite. Like that's something that's happening in Trump's America and it's happening because of this division we've produced and like seeing someone write that black lives matter is a lie, isn't true or black lives don't matter on a party was disgusting and seeing people defend him and then him posting pictures of his guns saying he'd take anyone down that tried to come up in arms about this with him. I was like, what world do we live in in which this is a controversial statement? I understand people talking about like how the leaders of the movement are Marxist, but to agree with the organization is different than to agree with the message and to agree with the movement. And like people just disagreeing with the movement is something that disgusts me and seeing it be something that's so prevalent, like all these people that you think are normal until you hear their political takes and like 
these things come out, like my friend's dad calling, like saying, oh, it's always the Mexicans. Like I've known them for years. And that was so disturbing to hear from someone that I thought was a good person. And like knowing that I have friends that he'd probably judge just because of what they looked like. Like that's awful. I can't even imagine what it's like being a minority because I am white. But like, I I can't imagine like what you guys feel like. And I'm sorry, like that this has been something that has just been so exponentially like bolstered by this presidency. As much as like, I think that this has been such a, hate inducing presidency i think a lot of it has taught people of color and generally i not even just people of color people everywhere about the importance of advocacy i um i want to look at the bright side of the situation because i i really hope that people don't dismiss these last four years as just bad years i think everybody needs to really take a look at the past four years and the policies that have been passed and the things that have occurred and to truly sincerely think about you know, what has happened here? Um, what allowed us to get to this point is an important question. How will we go forward from this point? What are the policies and the ways that we've been affected? How did we stand up? I think we have to reflect on the situations that allowed us to get to the point where BLM and George Floyd and all these things emerged again, but then also reflect on, did you play a role in that? And take those good aspects from these four years, because I think a lot of the times, like our are in our worst times, our best selves could be possibly put forward. Sometimes it'll produce the worst in you, but sometimes it produces the best in you. And I think, you know, I don't want people to dismiss these last four years and the time that we've spent having Donald Trump our president if he is not reelected as being, you know, worthless or bad because of who he was. I want us to all sincerely think about what's happened so that we can take that information going forward and we can unify more than we have ever before because we have this kind of like shared experience. But more importantly, I have a question for you guys. We've talked a lot today about Donald Trump's America. I want to know, what do you guys think? How do we move on from this? If Donald Trump is not elected for another four years, where does America go from here? I think... A lot of important conversations were had during Trump's presidency. Like, so, you know, typically, um, so many people could just shy away from politics, you know, saying like, it doesn't really affect them. They don't really have to care. You know, it's just like monetary stuff, economic stuff, you know, it doesn't matter that much. I have more important things to focus on. But like when basic human rights were up for question during this presidency so many more people got involved so many people more people educated themselves um you know so many people started advocating for their beliefs so many important conversations were had people's true colors were shown you know people got educated and i think that's really important but i think with the coming years it's really important to not lose this momentum we need to keep educating ourselves. We need to keep advocating because, you know, just because like if one person gets elected doesn't mean everything's fine now. Like, no, like <laughs> we need to continue to push for change and continue to advocate for what we believe in. Because, you know, just one person getting elected, you know, as we've seen in previous years, there has been a lot of empty promises if there was no, you know, pressure put or like some things were forgotten. So, you, you know, we need to continue advocating, like, for ourselves, because that's what democracy is. So we need to keep pushing for that. And I think that's really important regarding the future. We shouldn't forget this time, you know, no matter what happens. Absolutely. And I think, like, a good quote to leave this off on and to, like, think about as a listener is the per- when someone tweeted, if Hillary won, we'd be at brunch right now. That was something that was interesting because we did see with the Trump presidency, the emergence of people learning and educating themselves and going into activism. And I think that's something we need to make sure doesn't become a real narrative when Biden wins. Again, don't go to brunch when Biden wins. The only reason Biden changed his climate change plan is because groups like the Sunrise Movement worked with him to make it more progressive, right? The only way 
the Biden presidency becomes something that actually pushes us forward is if we hold them accountable. So to our listeners out there, don't go to brunch if Biden wins this election. Make sure that you're continuing to mobilize. Make sure that you're advocating harder than you ever had because this is a presidency that might actually listen to you. Especially if we take the House and the Senate as well, there is so much change we could do in four years. And it is so important now more than ever that these groups like work the hardest they can. Because like a group, like one of my groups, like Florida Youth Climate Strike, it's a lot, it's a lot harder to do something under the Trump administration when he's rolling back climate regulations left and right. And his head of the EPA is a coal lobbyist. But we had a Biden administration and he's elected. You can start to make him more progressive. That's something we couldn't really do under Trump. That's something we can do. We will be granted if Biden wins. So don't lose your momentum. Um, you know, stay conscious. Don't be clueless. Um, and yeah, so I guess we'll end it with it's okay to be clueless sometimes, but stay conscious after today, this election. Make sure you're continuing to educate yourself and continuing to educate those around you. Don't forget to follow our Instagram at cluelesslyconscious underscore. We post on there and we're going to start posting there more. And we're super excited you guys all turned, tuned in to the 2020 election part two. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed. If there's anything else anyone else wants to say, uh, now is your chance. Go check out all our previous episodes. Divya and Nina just did a fantastic episode on healthcare. We also have episodes out. The first part of this episode about the presidential election is out. We have a lot of episodes on some on BLM. We have our hot takes and our opinions. You can hear about how I don't particularly like friends and how angry that makes you. I don't know. You decide. So we have a lot of episodes out. We have a lot of things for you guys to catch up on hearing if you haven't heard them all. Um, and they're all incredible to listen to and we expand a lot on our own opinions in this episode that we've already developed in previous episodes. So if something doesn't make sense that we're talking about here, go check out the first 2020 presidential election episode and you can understand why we're talking about the things that we're talking about. We also talked about Kanye. So. <laughs> Absolutely, guys. Also, if you want us to talk about anything, if you're interested in any topics, you want to hear our takes, our DMs are always open. So once again, it's okay to be clueless sometimes, but make sure you stay conscious and have a great night. Logging out at 1.15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, this has been Divya, Melody, and Connor with Cluelessly Conscious, and we'll see you back next episode.